FIS Castaway, the podcast keeping you in the know about the shipping and commodity world. To keep up to date, sign up to our FIS Live app at www.fis-live.com or follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. And welcome back to Castaway, FIS's freight and commodity podcast. It is Wednesday the 24th of February in what is a very sunny morning in London town. Uh, this week we have our usuals, Kerry, who's joining us from London, Tom from Singapore, and of course our special guest this week is the CEO of FIS, John Bernaskovich. Hello guys, thank you for joining me. Hi Chris. Cool, so first of all let's go over what we've had in the news this week very briefly before going through our indices and bits about the markets and what's been moving on our main markets uh, before our special feature talking in depth about freight markets. So this week we've had a winter storm which covered more than 70% of Texas in snow. Donald Trump was acquitted for incitement of insurrection, even though Senate uh, seven Senate Republicans voted in favour of his impeachment. Facebook blocked news content on its sites in Australia after new law came into action, but actually backed down again and did agree a deal somewhat similar to Google. China displaced America as the EU's biggest trading partner last year, according to new statistics. Air France KLM reported a 7.1 billion euro annual net loss as the air industry continues to suffer under the pandemic. China has urged President Biden to lift sanctions and stop interfering in the country's internal affairs. Uh, British Prime Minister Boris Johnson unveiled plans to end lockdown in England by the end of June. And Iran has agreed to UN nuclear weapons inspections, uh, as well as a way forward to open up perhaps a new deal somewhat similar to the deal uh, done I think it was under President Biden, uh, as he when he was uh, Vice President under Obama. Uh, but anyway, uh, into our indexes for this week on uh, oil and fuel. Brent, we've seen pop up 3.57%, ending 65.32 yesterday, uh, close of business FIS uh, statistics. Uh, Rotterdam, 3.5%. We had 35770, up 2.13%. Sing 380, 370, 45, up 1.42%. On the 0.5%, the very low sulfur fuel, uh, we are knocking on the door of 500, uh, the Rotterdam 0.5 up 3.19%, 474 spot 1.8 and 498.68 on the Sing 0.5. And the high fives, that's the difference between the very low sulfur fuel law and the high sulfur fuel law, 116 for the Rotterdam version and Singapore up to 128, extending those leads into three figures on those both up 6.4% on the Rot and 756 on the Singapore. Uh, what about iron ore, Tom? What are we seeing on the two grades of iron ore? Yeah, another solid week uh, for iron ore, Chris. So on the 65% index from Fast Markets, uh, last Tuesday we were trading $190.45. Uh, as of yesterday, $196.35, so up 3.1% there. And on the 62% Platts co uh, contract, $165.95 on index last Tuesday, and yesterday, $172.75, uh, up 4.1%. And Kerry, for the freight indexes, what have we seen? Yeah, well, I think some deceptively small movements on the freight indices, given the actual uh, huge moves during the course of the week. But the Cape size, 13,216 is the average of the five TCs. That's up $902 or 7.3%. With the Panamax at 19,419, that's up $1,206 or 6.6%. 6 Thank you, Kerry. And to finish off, tankers, uh, TC2, we've seen a down 9%, closing 142.5%. Up 6% TC5 to 86.93. TD3C, the VLCC route, uh, up 1% to 
38 and the TD25 up 31% at 115.83. And those are the indexes moves uh, Tuesday 16th versus Tuesday 23rd yesterday. Uh, why don't we go into some of the reasonings uh, briefly behind some of the market moves and things we are seeing for the last week, uh, starting with oil and products. We have obviously seen a nice move up in Brent, and we've seen that since April, quite steady and slow. But uh, as we've noted previously for, for a number of weeks, if you said in April that we'd be at the level we were now, I think people would be laughing, but it's still continuing up. We've seen uh, some movement in the crack finally, which has been very flat of late, but this has dragged down the high sulfur fuel oil prices. So despite those Brent rises, prices week on week are not moving on those uh, high sulfur fuel oils as much as you would expect. On the other side, the 0.5% still remains very strong though. You can see that on those high five values, which are continuing to, to creep up. We push through the 100 value for both of them and they're continuing their move up uh, even higher. So for those people who have installed scrubbers, questions about whether this was a viable investment or not now seem less loud uh, as those the gap widens between those fuel grades um and as we pointed out we're, we're knocking on the 500 mark on some of those sing prices on those offers side so we're really pushing up it reminds me of would it be january 2020 where we had prices in the 600s on the 0.5 percent when we had the high five at uh, kind of 320 plus levels so we're getting towards that stage now of where prices are looking pretty pretty high and uh, going to start to hurt the wallet if you uh, if you hadn't hedged. And I'm sure there's some people out there going, I wish I'd hedged in April for locking in a few years. And uh, actually, now looking at prices, you'd be several hundred dollars in the money on that. Uh, looking at some analysis from, from other people, Goldman Sachs sees oil at $70 in Q2 and 75 in Q3. So those are $10 higher than the previous estimates on that. Uh, same is true of Morgan Stanley, who have revised up their forecast for, for oil. A uh, big news story, we started with it in our re news review, was the deep freeze in Texas, which saw around about 6 million barrels offline uh, for production. 85% is now back online, but we could see another couple of weeks as the remaining supply and power outages as they sort out all the problems there before that all comes back online. That is all playing into the situation there. And I think it'd be quite interesting to look at what happens in terms of the EIA statistics, which coming out uh, later today, but will be obviously reporting the podcast next week. So let's have a look at those and see what impact that has had on the US crude levels and product stocks on that. Lastly, OPEC meetings on the 4th of March, and they're looking to discuss output with the Saudis looking to generally increase their, their 1 million barrel cut, which was not a voluntary cut, which they added on top of everything else agreed with everyone. So they have been slowly coming out of that large cut they took over two years ago. So now they're going to be trying to push this forward, and especially true, if those Goldman Sachs views are correct, 70, 75 in Q3, they'll be looking to, to reduce that voluntary cut. And then in terms of the weather phase, we have seen most of the routes seen uh, support, which has been on the, off the back of that Texan uh, cold weather. Uh, a rise in European gas oil inquiry in the US refineries shut down, saw an increase in the number of uh, MR cargoes in Europe, and that helped to bring support to TC2 rates last week. Uh, but now we're seeing spot gradually come off as as the US sorts out the situation, as we talked about 85% of that uh, of support and 85% of that production back into stuff. So I'm sure that over the next two weeks, that will start to correct even further. But we are seeing that TC2 spot is still up around 46% from the start of the year. That was 88.92 and is now 142.5. Uh, on the dirty side, TD3, TD25, that's uh, US Gulf Coast uh, loading AFRA routes, saw a notable spike in rates. 
Freight rates historically increased during adverse weather conditions, and we are see vessels ballasting away and fixing and or fixing to different destinations to avoid uh, these weather conditions and risks. Uh, also with increasing of demurrage fees because being caught tied up in port and the port closures. Um, any available tonnage in the region, especially on TD25, doesn't come cheap at the moment of uh, the rates caused to climb due to the weather-related problems that we, we outlined. Uh, so why don't we move on to iron ore, Tom, and what we're seeing in that market. Yeah, cheers, Chris. So, I mean, depending on who you talk to at the moment, you get a very, very different opinion on uh, where we're at with iron ore pricing generally. So if you speak to someone on the financial side of the trade uh, that's been long iron ore as part of a sort of diversified metal or commodity portfolio, they've been structurally a lot, structurally long for quite a while and feel there's still a bit of room to go, for, even from these elevated levels that we're at at the moment. But if you speak to some of the physical players, they feel it's starting to get into seriously overcooked territory uh, at the moment. But some of those same people were saying that $50 ago. Uh, yeah, um, I recall that discussion happening last year. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so re regardless, it's pretty hard to argue with the sort of $8 move we've seen over the last week during Chinese New Year. Um, but it's still really a sort of dialogue about whether these levels are sustainable in anything more than the immediate short term. Um, structurally at the moment, Chinese stimulus seems to be potentially slowing down, but it doesn't seem to be having much of an input uh, impact on genuine steel demand at the moment albeit some of the mills are saying that they are going to run down inventory before they start buying any portside cargoes at the moment um so we'll see what that does to the iron ore price over the next few weeks um in terms of global demand though the rest of the world demand does seem to be recovering fairly well and seems quite robust all things considered um and um 2021 forecasted supply seems to be pretty strong as well with the latest major FMG announcing this week increased forecast deliveries uh, for 2021. So they've pushed their range up to 178 to 182 million tonnes um, for 2021. So I think there's still a lot of demand forecast at the moment. Um, there's been some big dividends paid from a couple of the big miners uh, over the last few days. So Rio and BHP both announced some fairly hefty dividends, uh, which the market responded quite well to. Um, both the equities market and the and the uh, and the commodity market as well. Um, so I think you know that strong demand we're talking about um, with some you know, good good supply numbers still. I think it, it is going to be very much a you know what we need to be looking out for is any supply side impact over the sort of medium term and the short term. Uh, and that was sort of highlighted to us yesterday um, when there were rumours in the market of some further environmental curbs in China uh, and there was a huge spike uh, on the DCE. So we actually reached uh, all-time highs on the May DCE contract yesterday. Uh, it was pricing at 1,178 uh, 1, RMB a tonne. Um, it came off quite quickly uh, as it turned out to be just rumours, but those sort of rumours on the supply side I think will have a fairly outsized impact on price uh, as we go through the next few months. You've still got this dovishness from the Fed as well. Um, so Powell announced that, you know, um, mm. we will be seeing continued stimulus coming out of the US. Um, that's likely to put further pressure on the US dollar, um, which is you know generally good for commodities and starts to lead into that conversation everyone's having about commodity super cycles and are we heading into a new one uh, or not? 
Um, there was an interesting article in the FT this morning about that um, and how it is intrinsically linked to Chinese demand. And maybe we shouldn't all be getting as excited as we are uh, about the potential for it. But, you know, there are still some very strong indicators. So fundamentally, not a massive week, um, but once again, a fairly, fairly sizable move uh, on the index over the last few days. Yeah, I mean, Tom, what was interesting to me was that right before Chinese New Year, we had both flagged up a couple of, let's say, potential red flags. Yeah. Um, and, and among those were uh, rapidly increasing deliveries. Um, you know, shipments uh, were up from both Australia and Brazil at the time. Yeah. That, uh, that led us to correctly expect uh, inventories to rise at port. In China, I've seen they jumped 1.5% in the past week. Yeah. And, and also a slowing of evacuation out of the ports, right? So we were seeing... Yeah, so that slowed, I think, almost half a million times. Are you still seeing that? Yeah, so, so evacuation, I think, slowed half a million or just shy of half a million tons this week. Uh, and port side inventory rose uh, 1.8 million tons week on week. So, yes, that is still playing out. And I think that sort of buys into what I was saying about a lot of mills are now just trying to run down inventory before they start moving uh, or, or buying new cargoes. That makes sense. You know, some of the North Chinese mills are rumored to have up to 40 days production on hand. Um, yeah, exactly. So, uh, so they do have some room to do that, don't they? Yeah, for sure. So I, I think yeah, we've, we've sort of highlighted before and around Chinese New Year, you can quite often get, and on the last few years, we've certainly had some outsized moves on thin liquidity. There's, you know, the, the market has historically been squeezed around this time. Uh, and I think we might be seeing the sort of back end of some some sort of that behavior going on um because as, yeah as you just rightly said you know, there yeah. were some fairly big flags that the demand picture might not be so strong for chinese still moving into the sort of summer months but that that um certainly the first week out back out of chinese new year that doesn't seem to be the case the demand picture seems to be quite rosy watch the space <laughs> Indeed. yeah keep what keep listening to the podcast you want to be uh, in the know about what's happening especially on these on the iron ore, which has been a product which we have watched the entirety of this podcast and has always surprised us. Exactly. Cool. Well, thank you, Tom, for that uh, overview. And now on to the weekly review of Freight Kerry before we go on to the wider picture. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, just as we went on the air last Tuesday, the cakes and the Panamaxes soared. Uh, they uh, moved up faster in 24 hours on both paper and physical than I think a lot of us have seen since the, uh, the Haiti days of... Uh, 2007 and 2008, and perhaps that alone should have been a warning sign that this was unsustainable, to be fair. Uh, as we mentioned last week, the paper market was driven by a short squeeze uh, on both the Cape and the Panamaxes. Uh, it was clear that the move was, caught, was caused by many market participants getting caught a bit too short and being forced to stop out. Uh, on the Capes, it was the paper as much as the strength of the Panamax market that had forced those physical rates up so quickly. And by Thursday, we were seeing a sharp correction back down on the front months on the paper as that short squeeze eased off. And that quickly had a knock-on effect on the physical market. With limited inquiry out of Brazil and no particular ton of squeeze in the Pacific, rates on that C3 Brazil-China have fallen down back to the mid-16s as the charters take a step back. And rates on the C5, which is West Aussie China, were heard yesterday at about $6.70, again drifting right back down. Uh, on the paper now, March trades 10675 this morning, down a whopping $6,000 from last Tuesday's close. 
while the Q3 at uh, $19,050 this morning uh, value, according to the FIS Live app, is about 1800 down on the close last Tuesday. Panamaxes did see a similar burst in their bubble at the end of last week, with the paper dropping sharply on Thursday and physical sentiment shifting a bit as it became clear there were pretty few non-breaching stems in the North Atlantic and plenty of tonnage competing for those. The East Coast South America had slowed down a bit and continues to show a lack of inquiry, but surprisingly, the Pacific has been a saving grace just in the past few days. Some impressive jumps on the pack round voyage rates are keeping the market buoyant. And in contrast to the Capes, adding some optimism to the paper as well, that marks Panamax 4TC is trading at 1865 value this morning. That's down 2,200 from last Tuesday's close. While the Q3 is trading at 14,500, down 600 bucks on a week ago. Having said that, uh, to look a little more broadly at what's been happening in the market this year, just beyond the past week, we're lucky enough to have uh, the chairman and MD of FIS, John Banaskovich, with us, uh, a man who is entering his third decade of watching the FFA markets and a man who's been chairman of the FFA BA for the past four years. And actually, I had thought that was a yearly assignment, John. Uh, it's supposed to be a year, but <laughs> nobody wants to do it uh, longer than that. So I've just kept rolling every year. Excellent. Excellent. I mean, we've seen some record volumes, just absolutely stunning volumes in the past few weeks. And indeed, the whole of this year has seen extreme volatility in volumes. What are your thoughts on that? So, well, first of all, thanks for inviting me today uh, to this uh, impressive uh, podcast you do every week. Um I've just taken my seatbelt off because it's been a bit of a roller coaster on freight and it's just tanking <laughs> right now as we speak. Um, so if we, stay, if we take one step back, um, I know I sound like a bit of a broken record, but I'd like to talk about the three Vs in drive freight to explain to the viewers a little bit more in detail about how the FFA works, the volumes, the volatility, and what people and why the market's gone up and what the value is. The first thing um, this year, um, I know we all talk about super cycles in commodities and are we seeing a super cycle in freight? Yeah. Well, we certainly are in freight, volumes and rates. So first of all, uh, last week, there was 88,198 lots traded. Um, around 57% of that was what we call Panamax 74,000 size on options. So that was the biggest volume ever on record traded. Wow. So if you add that to what's happened this year, I calculated this 436,000 lots traded, which is up 104% from this time last year. For all your listeners, I'll break that down, what that means. That means uh, to a physical charter or player, 800 million tons of paper traded in the first seven weeks of this year. For the financial investor fund, five billion dollars in notional value bear in mind that the physical market seaborne trade is about 3.5 so we're yeah. already 20 percent compared to the actual physical and lastly for the shipping uh, gurus of this world it's 1200 years of time charter one year <laughs> freight uh, fixing so uh, as you said kerry we haven't seen these volumes since 2008 and it's actually yeah more than what was in 2008. In 2008, <clears throat> it was an absolutely crazy world, you know, where we had rates at 200,000 plus in May and 2000 in December. 
we don't have those rates today, but we have the volatility. And obviously, I'd like to take people back to then because, you know, FIS was right at the forefront of all this. And what we did was we absolutely helped the market get out of this big mess. And even people today, when I go to shipping conferences, they pat me on the back and say, thank you very much for doing this multi-netting yeah, net system, the net out net system, system and yeah. OTC. Because in those days, about 60% of the business was OTC and 40% was cleared. And this seismic shift has shifted everybody to clearing now. So we had around $2 billion in netting between customers. So we saved a lot of companies with their cash flows. So um, the second point I want to just talk about is um, volatility. So as you mentioned earlier, the volatility. So let's break it down. In early January, uh, a Panamax 74000 was $10,930. And it went up up to pretty much now today before it's tanked to $21,000, which is 95% increase from the last six wow. weeks. The 2A, which is the trip out, uh, continent to Far East, went from twenty dollars to $32,000. But what's interesting is uh, the paper, the paper, <laughs> has gone from um, $10,550 on Panamax in March to $27,000. That's 165% increase compared to a physical index of 95. So it's interesting for people who are listening that their paper always overshoots or undershoots. It's a yeah. great opportunity for people to take advantage of these moves because people overbid or undersell. Uh, and it doesn't always move in tandem with the physical market. Exactly. Um, the other interesting thing about um, this volatility, what's amazing, is the Cape size versus Panamaxes, right? So typically, a Panamax, a 180,000 tonner, is worth one and a half to two times more than a Panamax because it costs a lot more and it's carrying a lot of cargo. So last year, uh, the average Cape time charter rate, 5TC, yeah. is, was $13,000. And the average rate for Panamaxes last year for 4TC was $8,587. So that gave a ratio of Cape to Panamaxes of 1.5. So today, you've just told me the index is Kerry. The rate for a Panamax is 19419 And the rate for a Cape is actually lower. It's 13216 So it's premium Panamax again it's gone the other yeah. way around so people are also enjoying this kind of uh, spread trading between Cape and Panamax yeah it's really unusual yeah, inversion yeah, of, the, yeah. of the Cape Panamax spread right yeah that's right so uh in terms of why this has all happened and what's gone on um so obviously typically in Q1 the market tends to be much lower in industrial activity you know after Christmas yeah. uh, Chinese New Year uh, people kind of sit back and historically Q1 has always been a big discount to say the Q4 markets in shipping and dry freight rates. This year, everyone was probably thinking the same. And obviously what's happened is um, with all these commodities, as you said um, earlier, Tom, booming, you know, we've had a big scramble for cargoes and a shortage of ships. So particularly the Chinese have been fixing a lot of grains, coking coal, iron ore with these kind of rates. And uh, there's been a big push on the physical side for more cargo demand. Interestingly, I was looking at the Atlantic market and in 2016, 
I think there was about 160 million tons of, you know, Atlantic coal, which was yeah. ships coming into the Atlantic, uh, bringing in coal, whether it's from Colombia or from different yeah. Australia or, or whatever. Yeah. yeah, but today that's 100 million tons. So as obviously the European drive. market's gone more for gas consumption yeah. as opposed to coal consumption. So what that does is it gives a squeeze. Basically, there was a big shortage of ships in the Atlantic market when all these new cargos came out so and they're all in the Pacific and then the front hole helps. Yeah. yeah. And then the last point, which I think is really important is that, you know, in the shipping market, there's a huge sentiment factor, you know, let's get on the chain and buy or sell. So there's a big scramble. So there was a bit of a herd mentality when the market's been caught with this and everyone said, Oh no, I better get out of this. So that's Definitely. also artificially, in some ways, Definitely. pushed the market a bit higher. And as you say, that's the, that's where you know the smart trader can also see some advantages um, as well. Pick those yeah. off, right? Um, you know, when that market overreacts that way. That's right. So my third point in my three V's is value. You know what what's that going to do? So I just think that uh, anybody in shipping, you can't ignore this volatility, and you can't ignore what's going on because even if you don't use paper the charter or the owner or whoever's on the other side will be quoting paper prices to you. So you've got to know what is happening in the market to com to compete and be in a level playing field. That's why we have things like your app, our app, uh, to kind of keep people abreast of all these changes in prices. Exactly. Um, so the other point is, you know, for the sort of new players coming in, it's been a very good, when people talk about barometers, drive freight with its indexes have been a good barometer for China. You know, China, if you look at seaborne trade, I mean, that's the country which has grown out of this pandemic and um, is, is, is growing now. And even our Shanghai office now said they can travel today anywhere in China, which is excellent. I'd yeah. like to be in China now as opposed to England. <laughs> exactly. um, uh, it's 40% of the seaborne trade. So it's a very big, you know, pointer yeah. to freight rates. And then for charters and owners, you know, um, there's a lot of ships now fixed on index linked yeah. uh that's the average of the time charter against uh, and every month it will settle against the index so there's a big you know open interest of activity there and obviously with the lack of forward cargoes going forward and there's a lot of commodities now fixing this link people are looking more at the paper market yeah. to hedge that freight exposure yeah, it's those index linked fixtures that are helping drive this volume, isn't it? Because well. everyone has to just really has to cover themselves. So. Yeah. So somebody told me, you know, uh, nearly 40% of, you know, broker time charter fixes on capes was index linked now as opposed to a fixed rate. Yeah, it's a very high level. Yeah. Isn't it? mm. So, uh, so that's definitely helping to drive the surge in trading, isn't it? Yeah. But interestingly, you know, as, as we're talking now, the rates have tanked and, you know, we are probably going to see higher levels than next year. So it's quite interesting, you know, uh, if you look at the um, Panamax forward paper now, it's um, just looking at it now. It's um, uh, so the spot TC for um, Panamax is 19,400 roughly. 19, yeah, no, 20, 20. Well, yeah, well, we could talk about 4TC yeah. and 5TC yeah. because that's yeah, another exactly, topic, really. Exactly, yeah. But yeah, so the, it's 19,419 at the moment, and then you can trade uh, Q4 13,000. Yeah. And for next year, if you are bullish, 
right? It's 11,200. Yeah. And if you look at where we were last year, it was 8,500. Yeah. But still, fundamentally, there is a growth in cargo, but there is still a lot of ships being built. Um, as we touched upon the TC average, uh, obviously, every seven, eight years, the Baltic changes the description of the mm -hmm. vessels. And we did that in 2016 for mm -hmm. Capes from the Capes at 172 to 180. Yeah. And now we've done the same for Panamaxes. But unfortunately, we've we've got to get more people to trade the 5TC. Um, so that's what we're making a push that, for. That, that has been one of the uh, one of the defining factors. The Panamaxes have not switched over nearly as fast as the Capes did um, no. in terms of liquidity. So I looked at it yesterday. There's about 198,000 lots open interest yeah. uh, in Panamax and Panamax options. And there's been 180 lots traded on the 5TC. So, so we're going to make a bit of a push yeah. for the market because... At the end of the day, you know, the Baltic's going to stop producing forward curves. And, yeah. the, uh, and you know, we've got a limited time on that. And ultimately, the 4TC, let's remind everyone, is now a derived index. You know, oh. the 5TC is the index that gets marked yeah. every day. The 4TC is simply subtracting $1,336 from that number yeah. and, and printing it. So, yeah. you know, I think in the, in the long term horizon, uh, you, you'd think people would want to be trading the index that's actually being live marked each day. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I think that sort of covered all the points. Well, thanks a lot for coming on, John. I think that gives us a really clear idea of what's been happening this year, these extraordinary moves and extraordinary volumes on the freight. So, uh, um, you know, thanks for taking the time to be with us. And just a quick point to finish off with the outlook for the rest of this year. I just give a brief kind of overview of what we're seeing because we've, we've seen obviously incredible volumes, incredible volatility, uh, and the number of participants has been increasing over the years. And this obviously is an opportunity for people who wouldn't necessarily trade freight previously, you know, funds, others looking at this because it is a very liquid market and it has that volatility and opportunities for trader traders. So for a 2021 with people who are looking at the freight market, they're just on the edge of trading. What kind of words can we give to those people to, to continue to trading or to really think about coming into this market? Well, look, I think as a way to capture both volatility and, as John mentioned, uh, exposure, particularly looking at the capes, exposure to Chinese industrial growth, I think um, I think it's a market that's fairly unmatched. We are already seeing a number of funds jump into this market that we previously hadn't seen before. We're even seeing systematics join this market now. So I think uh, I think there's room for uh, for plenty of people to join this market uh, for it to become a little more financialized, and the market is certainly liquid enough. To handle that at the moment um uh and so the outlook is continued volatility but uh but a very effective means of gaining that exposure to china uh i think john you'll probably be keeping a closer eye on the burnley position uh, in terms <laughs> of the outlook for later this year right uh -huh. it is quite similar to freight because it's up and down right you know so uh if i was a betting man which i'm not allowed to be as a director of burnley um i think we'll be fine and we'll probably stay up uh, it's been really strange this year because, or last year, we, we've got no fans in the stadium. So we're playing Tottenham on Sunday. So you can imagine this yeah. 62,000 stadium uh, no is there. empty and I'm there. But you can hear all the swear words and all the players, you know, <laughs> doing stuff. Yeah, Exactly. Well, fingers crossed that Burnley stays up as well. Yeah. Um, well, thanks a lot. Thanks for coming on, John. Uh, and fingers crossed for the freight market continues to go from strength to strength as we move forward into 2021 and beyond. Very much so. Uh, it is obviously a changing situation with uh, 2020, which was unprecedented, everything that was happening. And just something which Tom brought to my attention before we started the podcast is that uh, there's news, there's 
I think, recently that the Russian natural gas tanker has uh, completed an experimental voyage through the Northern Sea Route, um, which goes across Russia's north coast. And, and this is something which has never happened at this time of the year, obviously with global warming, global climate change, that is now something which can happen much earlier than it would normally do. So lots of changes in, in freight, freight routes, climate, the situation, the world economically. So as we say, people want to keep up to date on things that are happening. You need to stay tuned and subscribe to this podcast as much as possible. Exactly. Exactly. As you said, Kerry, thank you very much to John for joining us and to Tom and Kerry, our standard uh, contributors to our, our markets and everything else and bringing their wisdom to everyone else apart from that it will be join us next week and we will be having hopefully a shipping emissions special at some point soon so do join in join in for that and do share with others and as i said subscribe and we'll see you next week bye